Adrian! Adrian! Hey, Adrian! Uh, <laughs> all right, enough of that. I'm Mark C. Frankel with Wayward Raven Media. I'm Alex Saponzis, and I'm also from Wayward Raven Media. And you're listening to Adrian, Adrian has, has Issues. issues. Welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian, and we're back with a new episode. All right, I'm just going to start off with a with quick pop quiz for you who are listening. What do Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse, and Jim Morrison have in common? They all share a very strange, and these are just a few among many musician entertainers who this fortune of all dying at the exact same age, which is 27. And, well, thankfully I'm not here to talk about death but i am here to talk to someone who is very awesome a writer editor filmmaker and i'm sorry editor in chief of red style of media uh enrica jang enrica how's it going all right how's it going I'm the, everything's going well. I just want to say right off the bat, we have a mutual friend who, prior to meeting you at Special Edition NYC, had hit me to this anthology that you're doing for your company, Red Stylo, which we will get into. All she told me was, it's called 27, and it's like, oh, it's got a Kickstarter. I'm like, okay, let me check this out. So I'm running through the list, and I'm like, this is probably one of like the most fascinating yet tragic things I've ever had to read, but yet it was pretty engaging yeah yeah people get really surprised they really surprised at how long that list is and that's frightening but you have taken this straight and i don't even know because there's theories all over the internet about why this is but there's that whole phenomenon about all these you know entertainers who have died at the age of 27 and you actually took this and did something rather i would say brilliant where you turned into an anthology about these musicians and i will say though that is uh it's pretty spectacular <laughs> thank you thank you thank you i like this word brilliant that you just used <laughs> it, is, it is brilliant because um you know what? i'm gonna shut up about it because i'm kind of gushing right now but i will let you then describe the anthology which is called 27 <laughs> Thank you. 27, a comic anthology, is a collection of original comics inspired by the music and members of music's infamous 27 Club. And as you said, uh, some very famous names, uh, but also a very long list of musicians um, all have this very grim thing in common. They all died at the age of 27. And that list includes uh, Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse, Janis Joplin. And it's, uh, it, it sort of goes on. Richie Edwards, uh, a lot of, a lot of surprising names going all the way back to the 1800s. And uh, so we, uh, we, my company, we've, we've done an anthology, a themed anthology every year. Last year, we did a rock and roll anthology um, inspired by Queen, the band Queen. I don't know if you have any fans in your audience. Um, uh, and that was Killer Queen. And that was the first year doing a rock anthology. We knew we wanted to do another one. And uh, uh, we started... Uh, Sort of talking about, um, you can't talk about Queen without talking about the sad uh, way that Freddie Mercury uh, passed away. Uh, and, and, and but that leads to other discussions about other people, and then and then you know we hit on this new 
theme for the next anthology, and that's where we are this year. So uh, 27, a comic anthology, is um, going to have 27 different pieces inspired by um, members of the 27 Club. We've got 54 creators on this book, and we are on Kickstarter now. Uh, We are about 75% to our goal, uh, and, and it ends on August 4th. So, yeah. As far as this anthology, do you go through the same process as you do the other ones? How do you go about selecting the artists to contribute? We've done we've kind of we've done an open call every year for artists and writers in January. Um, we've announced the theme January one, uh, and that we uh, sort of go through this process. We ask people to send in their portfolios, and then we do an invitation process uh, that usually lasts until March fifteenth. We announce the names, and then we work like 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 idiots for six months to try to get this book out and uh, the book comes out at uh in october usually for new york comic-con and we've done this for about five years now i first found out about you of course through this anthology which we'll be jumping back and forth in and out of that because i don't know i could talk music all day Mm. if you've heard any other episode of this show i'm something of something of a music junkie i what i found was fascinating was wasn't even necessarily the anthology but the fact that red style of media i mean you've pretty much got this pretty nice little empire built for yourself here (laughs) i like this i like this word empire i like brilliant i like empire this is good I love how I'm like I'm building up to be like this wonderful ruler. We've just been very lucky to to work with some wonderful people and uh, for a very small company uh, to have we've published over 200 people. It'll be over 200 people this year. So uh, wow. for a small small company like us to have been able to work with that number of people uh, and and some of them were were first time. It was the first time getting published, and then some of them were veterans, and but all of them were wonderful, and uh, we've been very lucky to to do that. And I've been I've been lucky to have uh, a very great team. I've got two assistant editors um, that, uh, that 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 work <laughs> like crazy uh, to make <laughs> to make magic happen. So I'm I'm very lucky that way. How did Red Stylo start? Did you yourself, I guess, work within the industry and then decide, well, I'm going to be an editor or Basically, I just want to figure out at what point did this all come about? Because, again, this is pretty fascinating to me. It was it's sort of different things. I had um, I was lucky. I, I got an internship at Marvel, and that was how I started officially in comics. But uh, once my internship was over and once uh, my program was over for school, um, we wanted to – comics is, is weird. Well, not weird, but, I mean, the comics is one of the few few in- industries in publishing where they expect you to put your own work out first before they'll talk to you. <laughs> I came from more of a publishing sort of background, and, and the idea at that time was that, oh, gosh, if you put out your own book, then nobody was going to touch it, whereas with comics – Every pro um, that will tell you that you have to put out your own comics before anyone will will look at you. You just have to prove that you're 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 ready to do it and prove that you can. So there was as a creator, as a writer, that there was an impetus to do that. But then also the editors that I worked for, uh, I had done editing uh, for you know in a more literary sense and more and more for school. So it's a process that I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed working with creators, and I thought that. Um, 
I, I could do it, of course. Uh, but editors very quickly let me know they didn't want anybody to, to treat being an editor as a stepping stone to being a creator. Because it's, it's a different skill set. It's a completely different kind of thing. So um, if I wanted to be taken seriously as a comics editor, I had to prove I could edit. And I, I didn't think anybody would, uh, would take me seriously if the only thing I was putting out was my work. So that's how I started to... Um, just got this idea that, hey, I gotta, I have to work with other people and, and make that happen for them and show that I had that skill set. And that's kind of accidentally how my company came about. <laughs> the anthologies are very popular. And again, we had some, some very talented people from day one. Uh, Poe Twisted um, was our very first anthology inspired by Edgar Allan Poe and uh, only 13 creators on that book. Uh, but it was a wonderful experience. And that's still one of our bestsellers. So from day one, the anthologies were very popular, and it, it, it has made everything else ten times better. It's funny what you're saying as far as how things happen by accident. I've noticed that seems to be something of the, I shouldn't say the norm, because that sounds so bad, but but it's as far as like you have sort of a plan, but then there's also this wonderful thing happens as a result of it. It's like, okay, so I need to start putting out other work in terms of getting myself out there, but next thing you know, it's like, wait a minute. I have my own little company here. Let's run with this. And you struggle sometimes because you want to keep your mission clear. Right. I've had to learn, and it's been a very pleasant lesson, that sometimes you have this plan, but better things happen. And uh, no, that's been good. That's been important for life and for comics and for everything else. You mentioned the Poe anthology. Of course, we talked about 27, which we're going to be raving about that one in a bit. Yes. Uh, the, you mentioned Queen. I'm like, oh, crap. So let's talk about Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Last year, well, we had the first three anthologies I had done with uh, this team. We had uh, uh, the literary themes, and that's my background for school. I was uh, an English major, a liter uh, literature major, so Poe and Shakespeare, and then we did an anthology inspired by Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And it kind of got to this point where like, oh, we've got to do this literary theme. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I was going back and forth with uh, James McGee and Mark Mullaney, um, my two assistant editors, uh, about like what could be the next topic. And when you're trying to force it, when you're trying to, you think you've got to do something because that's what you've done before. Um, and a lot of people sort of warned me, well, you've got this brand, so you don't want to, you don't want to change too much. And part of me was just, can I curse on your show? Can I? I have a potty mouth, so don't worry. You can curse <laughs> all the fuck you want. <laughs> well, we were, yeah, we were just like, fuck that. We don't have to. We don't have to, to stay. Just do this because we were, you know, that's all we were doing. So um, we want to break free. And of course, of course. Uh, Wait, was that a queen reference just right there? It might have been. It very well. It very well might have been. <laughs> you said you want to break free. I was like, I was broken the song. And I realized I don't sound like Freddie Mercury. I have a horrible singer. We will lose all of your listeners if I try to sing. So, no, but we, uh, we, and, and I'll tell you what, we were, I was very close to doing an Elvis anthology. That and I had tried, I, well, here's the thing. So I tried to do it. I was trying to sell this idea. And you, you know, you do this informal poll on Facebook, like, okay, so which would you read? Would you read, uh, Elvis anthology or would you read, I don't know, Queen anthology? And, I the most replies I've ever gotten on any Facebook post it was all queen 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 <laughs> yeah because Freddie Mercury is 
I mean, there are some performers who are just performers and they're singers, what have you. But Freddie Mercury really is this larger-than-life persona. And almost... Like it, it's almost surreal watching like old footage of concerts, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. I never got to go to one myself because well, it's a little bit before my time. But yet, there's just something just. It sounds so lame and almost pitchfork editor like, but it's it was really something just so transcendental about him singing, and it's it's amazing. Yes, yes. So I and that's it. So that was the I love Queen. Yeah, I don't know anybody who doesn't, and so it was just great. Um, you just had to at that point. So. The Elvis anthology is actually something that um, I've saved for myself. It's going to be a mini anthology that we're doing just a little bit later, a little further down the road. But uh, for the for the main anthology last year, um, Killer Queen uh, was was what we did, and we had um, forty over forty creators on that one, different um, artists and writers, and again some first timers, and then some veteran creators, some people I've worked with for on all of the anthologies, and it is. The best book we've put out. Um, it, it truly is wonderful. And the, and the coolest thing about it is um, we kind of went hat in hand to the uh, president of the Queen fan club. And we didn't know what kind of response we would get right. from her. And she was immediately, her name's Jackie Smith. She has been the president of the official Queen International, like the International Queen fan club um, since its inception. Holy and crap. Uh, she was immediately wonderful. She was immediately incredible. She wrote our, the introduction for that book. And then she even sent us um, sort of like a, a little, kind of like a note that um, Freddie Mercury had shared with her. And she let us use that for the book. It was like hearing from him. <laughs> so it was so, so, such a sweet experience and so cool. And the, the thing about it is like, you know, when you're doing an anthology, you're doing these comics inspired by this music. If we've done our job, you want to go back to the original music and just put it on blast and listen to it and, right, and absolutely. come back and, and come back to the stories and see all the Easter eggs and all the cool stuff that's there. So I'm very proud of that book. It was a, it was a new direction for us. And so, of course, we wanted to, to you know, rock hard or go home uh, for this next anthology. And that's how the next one kind of came about, too. So I'm very proud of that one, though. Killer Queen, a comic anthology inspired by Queen. And that's original comics. The artists were challenged to take their favorite Queen song and use it as inspiration for completely original stuff. So, yeah, it was good. I guess it's clear to say that music is a very big part of your background well not my background but i do love it i do love it okay (laughs) to do a whole anthology based on queen and then well going to 27 with all these other musicians that's something that you don't do unless you generally have an appreciation for it (laughs) well it's one of those you know when you're a creator there are a lot of things that inspire you you know uh, like whether it's books or music, I can't like so many different writers, they'll sit around or even artists, they'll sit around and they'll talk about. So what do you listen to when you're working? What do you listen to when you're working? So oh, see, that's one of my favorite questions. So yeah. that's actually what I was going to ask you. So what do you listen to while you're working? Oh, you know, I don't listen to anything. <laughs> how do you live in this? <laughs> like, how do you breathe? When I'm writing, I don't listen to music. When I'm taking a break, I will rock. And when I just kind of need to get loose and I need to like just go somewhere else, put some music on, I'll, I need music when I'm running for like working out or anything like that. So other places there's music. But when I'm working, 
nothing. Ah, so you're you're one of those. And, and you know, I only say this because I'm kind of jealous because I know some people, they're like, I need to work in a room that's quiet, that's completely isolated. Me, it's like I need to be like on a busy train with like headphones blaring and I, I need like complete noise and chaos. So I always envy anybody who could work in silence. and. Well, peace. music is so personal to me. Just when you're listening, like the lyrics are the most important because I'm a writer. So the lyrics are the most important. Right. Exactly. So if I'm really getting into lyrics, a little like poetry, if I'm getting into this, then I'm not thinking about my own stuff. Now, all these emotions on these feelings, I need to turn the music off and then like put it out on the screen or put it out on the page. But yeah, by myself, not so much. So given the dark subject matter of 27, was there was there a particular approach when you had contributors uh, sit in pieces, or was it simply a matter of okay, let's just say Bob is gonna write about Jimi Hendrix, so I'm gonna let him tell his story, and then we'll look it over afterwards. But what was the process in terms of accepting those contributions? Well, we try to keep it open ended for the creators. Like we have a list of the rules for copyright. You can't use any lyrics, so that's one of the things where. Use the story, use the song as inspiration or use this artist as inspiration for an original story. You can't adapt any of their music. You can't adapt sort of like a real life situation for your story. It all has to be an original. But you're calling your shot, you know, like you're you're saying what your inspiration is. So people are going to recognize these bits. But for the creators, that's those were the rules. So it had to be an original piece. It had to be fiction. But other than that, and we could not use any lyrics. But then other than that, um, it, they, it was a free-for-all. It'd take your favorite song or favorite artist from the 27 Club and use it as inspiration for an original story. And we got so many different just it's just there's so many creative people out there who who really want to tell wonderful stories and these artists are absolutely fantastic so it was just uh um that those were the guidelines and that's that's how we sort of choose and then based on what comes in that's how you make that's how you make these selections what was funny was different about this year rather than last year was last year we were really worried for queen that we were going to get, you know, all of the submissions for Bohemian Rhapsody or all the <laughs> submissions for We Will Rock You. And we weren't going to get anything else. So, you know, when we put out the open call, we said, you know, don't be afraid to dig deep. Don't be afraid like these deep cuts, like go in and 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 look at the entire discography of Queen and, and then come up with something new. What was interesting about last year, though, is because we said that we only got these deeper cuts and we didn't get anything from Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> anything from We Will Rock You. So now at this point, you're almost like requesting, okay, can one of you, I'm not like knocking what you wrote because it's amazing, but can one of you at least do We Will Rock You? Because I was on Twitter. I was on Twitter making chicken noises. Like, you, <laughs> chickens, you need to get out there. You need to. <laughs> so eventually we did get, uh, you know, a good, a good round sort of, we've got, you know, a lot of, we've got the, the, the tops and then we also have, you know, like, it was funny how many pictures I got for Hangman and that was a song that they didn't even release. <laughs> so, but, you know, that was last year. But So this year we were afraid that that was going to happen. We would only get the most obscure stuff. So we said, we made it a point to say, make sure that you're thinking about the most famous ones. And those are, you know, Amy Winehouse and Kurt Cobain and Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin. And then there was a period of time we were freaking out because that's all we were getting. 
So when suddenly I'm in, you know, have 12 Kurt Cobain pitches, there's no way, like, unless I'm doing a Kurt Cobain anthology, there was no way. Um, so, you know, the 27 Club is this great way to kind of encapsulate all these artists, but at the same time, it's a, it's a deceptively big theme. Right. So we really had to, um, I was turning great stories away simply because, hey, we already have three Kurt Cobain stories and I can't. I just can't. So that was that was a heartbreaking part of this year. But at the same time, we did get a very wide array um, of artists in the end. So there's no uh, plans to use any of those those unused submissions, maybe at a later date as kind of like an addendum or it'll just kind of just fall by the wayside. It's much more possible now, which is nice when you, you know, you put out the printed book and everybody wants to be in print. But, you know, we released the stories both as a collected edition, but then also individually. Um, on our website and on Comixology and other sites, um, drive, through, drive Through Comics. And so there's a possibility of having a more expanded library, which is nice. You know, with the best stories, I, you know, went back to the writer, I went back to the art and I said, listen, I would love to be able to include this. I can't. However, if you do this, we will cross promote with you. Um, and then I, for one of the stories, it was just so good that, you know, I said, hey, if you guys do it on your own, we'll put it in the digital edition. But then these pages and these concepts started coming in. I'm like, there's just, there's no way we wouldn't include this. So, yes, this story is in. This story is in. And uh, so it's, it's it's I like how this is going to sound really hippy trippy, but like I like how organic it can be. You know, you, you <laughs> just see you see what's there and you see the, the people are so passionate and they're telling such good stories and you want to include everything and digital makes it possible to include more. Uh, but then sometimes you just have to make the tough, the tough, the tough call and uh, kick yourself later. Well, being an editor, I, I'd imagine you're probably uh, well versed in how difficult that can be. <laughs> now I am. <laughs> <laughs> now I am. You know, it's funny how how many people think that, you know, editors like to to make that. Oh, I was the- even saying that they enjoy it. But unfortunately, uh, just being, you know, faced with that tough decision, it's like, okay, what do you include or what don't you include? And you know what? It's funny. I like. It, I'm not going to say. I know some of those people actually do like inflicting the pain, but I, I don't. I, I hate saying no to people. So, uh, and maybe that that's going to like sort of plant a bullseye on my back. But it's you know when when you've got a whole bunch of people who are excited to work with you or excited about this project that you're putting out, you have to be grateful for that. You have to appreciate that they want to contribute to 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 your success. And so I'm I I'm grateful for all those people. I really am. Um, I never like saying no. As far as Red Stylo goes, what are some other books you're working on? Because I did see that there was a preview for a book called The Star Thief. Yeah, that's our first. It's kind of our first manga style book. The Star Thief is um, an alternative history. What if it was the Chinese who discovered the New World uh, 70 years before Christopher Columbus? And uh, that book um, has been a long time in the making. And uh, I've got uh, two wonderful artists on it, Chris Liu and uh, uh, Jan Velasquez uh, uh, doing the color. And yeah, but we haven't ventured into manga before. Um, but I, I kind of asked, we, I had lots and lots of talks with Chris, asked him for sort of a Western manga style. And um, it, it's a very epic, sweeping story. Uh, but I'm excited about one, that one. And I'm, I wrote that one. So. Which the coloring on this is fantastic. Yes, yes. Jan is awesome. Jan is an amazing artist. 
Um, he was this hidden gem. And actually, um, the uh, Erica Schultz, who introduced you and I, uh, she introduced me to Jan. And it's been it's been wonderful from the very beginning. So I'm excited about that book. We've got more pages to show for that one, too. Very so. excited. I can't really- I can't wait. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited about that one. Uh, the other one, I haven't uh, announced this yet, so I will announce it for you on your show. We are working, I'm working with artist Jason Strutz on um, a graphic novel called The House of Montresor. And if there are any Edgar Allan Poe fans out there, uh, this is a, uh, this graphic novel, it's an original graphic novel, but it is a sequel to Edgar Allan Poe's Cask of Amontillado. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that story. Edgar Allan Poe wrote a story about uh, a man who walls his best friend into his wine cellar. Oh, yes. Like, I did read this lot. one before. I didn't catch the name, but yes. I do remember the story. Yes. One of my favorites. And that's, yeah, that, that's I, I, that sounds very morbid of me, but fuck it. I, that's, it is one of my oh, favorites. Oh, I love that one. That's my favorite, too. So, but yeah, House of Montresor is a sequel to that book because the killer never really explains why he's doing it. And the killer is also telling the story 50 years after he got away with it. So the question is, you know, why is he telling, like, who is he talking to? Why is he telling the story? So this graphic novel um, is about that. But that book just got picked up by Action Lab at San Diego Comic-Con this year. We signed the contracts and uh, that's going to be an Action Lab book. So it's going away from Red Stylo, but it's going to go live at Action Lab. Oh, yes. I'm very excited about that. And uh, they're a great group of guys. Uh, Jeremy Whitley, actually, um, he writes Princeless. He's over there with them. He uh, contributed to Shakespeare Shaken. Um, he kind of talked me through a little bit of the process, too. And then Brian Seaton over there got us the contract and we're, we're going to be ready to go. So I'm excited. I'm very excited about that. But yeah, that's a, I haven't announced that yet. So this is, this is for you. Oh, man. I, I hope I do you proud. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you very much. I just love, I love being able to talk to people about this stuff. I'm so excited. Thank you. That, that's, so, but again, there's, that's something that I really can't discount with the fact that if you really think about it, there are few female editor in chiefs and especially few women of color as editor in chiefs. And I'm sorry, I have to point that out that it, it's, it's pretty awesome. Now, has that in itself has some sort of weight where you're saying to yourself, hey, you know, there aren't too many who do what I do. Like, uh, does that get to be pretty awesome or does it ever hit you every so often where it's like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm doing something that really not a lot of people can say they do. Well, you know what? It's weird because um, I know, most of the time I'm actually feeling like I'm a little lost in the crowd because a lot of people do what I do. It's it's kind of there's so many indie companies out there, and if they're putting out one title, they're an indie company, um, and you just kind of have to be because if you're putting out your own book, you're involved in the promotion, and you're involved in the editing, and you're involved in the production, and 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 that's all on you and. I've met so many women who are kind of like working on their own doing this stuff. And then I've met so many, you know, I don't meet a lot of half Chinese, quarter Italian, quarter Mexican hybrids like myself, but I do meet you know, <laughs> lots of people uh, from different backgrounds. And they're all just quietly, quietly just kind of working on their own stuff and trying to get noticed in, in this giant sea of there are more indie creators out there than ever. And uh, that's that's an amazing and it's it's an amazing time to be indie now because you've got the you know with social media you can you can get out there more than ever before but at the same time there's so many voices so many people um so you know your question was you know am i 
hey, there are not a lot of people who do what I do. There are a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people, and they just aren't aren't seen. And that's the thing. Like I go back and forth with it because I had a conversation with some very good friends of mine um, just earlier today. Because I guess there's a mild controversy mm-hmm. uh, with Marvel about um, these variant covers they just released about the. Um, I guess they're doing like these hip hop theme covers based on uh, their comics that are coming out with this fall. So there became like a uh, the conversation started up again about representation in terms of let's say the big publishers, but then on one end there's that conversation, but yet going to special edition NYC and meeting you and so many other people, and you never would have thought that there was this disparity because so many people I met were you know it was it was such a diverse crowd of creators that in a way I almost felt like shoot. These are the guys I would, like, not that I don't love, you know, my Marvel stuff or what have you, but these are the voices I would rather hear from because there's so many great stories and styles of writing that I never would have got had I just been, you know, just reading your mainstream stuff. Right, right. You know, it can be frustrating because, like, I mean, the most visible are the bigger companies, which is true, but... (sighs) And I can understand both sides. It, it's difficult for, and these are corporations. I mean, like they've got Marvel and DC, you know, they've got their corporate masters and uh, they've got a lot of other people that they've got to kind of go through. So I try not to be an apologist about it, but at the same time, I know I've seen how difficult it is for them to find, you know, this, the, the, the push and pull between a deadline versus trying to find new talent and, trying to sell a lot of books and knowing you're going to sell books with this name versus taking a chance on someone who's not known and then you never know what's going to happen. And so I I feel for those guys because sometimes as an editor, you go to the people that you know will deliver. And there are some really talented po- folks out there who, you know, whatever their issues are, whatever is going on with them, they don't, they don't or can't deliver. And it's not that, you know, any one group will or won't do that it's just that when you're in that position and you have to deliver it's hard (laughs) to take a chance um so i feel for them but at the same time we need you need diversity because there's diversity in your audience and and you're you're if you don't understand that as an editor you don't have people on your editorial team who understand the diversity in your audience it just gets stagnant it just gets you know nobody cares so um, things are changing, and 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 hopefully, hopefully, you'll see more more of that. But it, that's where I feel, though, that indie has to come in, and it has to come in strong. Um, there, you know, everybody's doing indie stuff. There are n- like fewer excuses to put out an amateurish product. I I feel that anybody who puts their work out there, anybody who goes to the effort, even like even if you're like going down to Kinkos and like copying out your comics and stapling shit together and doing all that stuff. <laughs> That person is doing more than some idiot at home who, you know, he might get commissions or he might do whatever, but he doesn't get the workout. He's not, you know, putting himself out there. He's just, you know, you know, somebody who who goes to the effort of putting their original work out there as opposed to like sitting and drawing, you know, known stuff for someone else and thinking he's an artist when really he's just, you know, taking orders. It's just this ridiculous kind of stuff. So I have much more respect for the people on the ground who are who are doing everything they can to get their original work out. And then now there are more tools to get, um, you know, just to get, to make it a professional product and to, to, to get to more people with digital uh, and in print. So 
I'm excited about that. So you're definitely one who is a strong uh, supporter of digital media as opposed to just strictly print. I don't think it, I don't think you have to be like one versus the other. Okay. But I do believe that digital has the uh, potential to reach more people. You know, just to even, you know, from a company point of view, we're, we're always going to have the potential to deliver more comics to more people digitally than we could ever do in print. Just because of the, you know, the economics of it, it's just cheaper and faster and you can get to more, to more folks. So, you know, if you know, you can, if you know, you can get your work in the hands of more of the most people, you have to be a supporter of digital. At the same time, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a reader as well. I love books. I'm, you know, of the generation who love books too. And um, I, I'm never going to turn my back on print. I'm just going to, you know, complain about how expensive it is. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so bad because for a very long time as, you know, in the advent of digital media, especially with comics, and I'm saying to myself, digital, why would anybody want this? I'm like, and I, I would clutch my floppy comic book and, you know, thrust <laughs> it into the air, which, of course, would ruin the book. But to make a point being like, I will never give it to digital. And then I realized I was limiting myself because not every comic that comes out is going to be in print. Because, like you said, the cost is very high, which is unfortunate. And also, it may be difficult to move those uh, units because because of the cost. it's that much more difficult to sell them. But with digital, of course, these days, the majority of people have tablets or smartphones or computers, and, you know, you can reach a wider audience to... And let's be honest, there are people who, like me, live on their... They live on their phones, they live on their computers. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. Even before, you know, you had all this stuff going on, ask, you know, the most successful uh, webcomic artists out there. You know, when they put out a like a web comic that's usually free, comes out once a week, that kind of stuff, they're, you know, delivering for absolutely nothing. The most successful ones do find that their book sales actually are pretty good. Because something about even though people are getting the content for free, and even though people are getting the content, you know, on a computer, if there's an opportunity to meet the artist, if there's an opportunity to have the book and get that connection, those sales do come. Um, so... You know, I try to keep that lesson in mind when I'm sitting here like, oh, no, I've got to charge for this or I've got to charge for that. We've been trying to kind of, you know, get more of the work out for free um, and and learn from that example um, and, and, and just hope that, you know, the more we're putting ourselves out there and showing people that we have, they actually come to us. Um, they seek us out. And that's a very humbling and cool just wonderful experience and then and then you've established a relationship with with someone who digs your work and that's there's nothing better than that that's that's the best thing and it's so funny because there's a lot of books that i picked up and i didn't realize you guys uh were the publishers uh, behind city of walls yeah 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 we um well red stylo has an imprint uh called red stylo press and City of Walls um, is one of the books that we um, collaborate with. So um, they're under our imprint. Uh, they've got the logo on the book, and they've got a, a page on our site. And we talk about them when we uh, in our newsletter and get the word out. And we take the book with us when we go to shows. Um, they're uh, A.K. Loveless and um, Sean Noel. They're the, the best, the, just amazing guys. And they're an example of you know what I've been talking about. These guys who labor for years uh, just to put 
to get this workout and they show up and they do this and they do it, you know, every day and that already they're winning. Um, but it's wonderful. And they just, um, speaking of web comics, they just scored a really great deal on Webtoons, uh, which is big in Asia right now. And they're going to be, um, a web comic, uh, uh, for a, a lot of South Korea. That's and, crazy. And, and, Japan. and isn't that cool? <laughs> isn't that, so something that, you know, you create in New York is, is, is just going out. But that just speaks in volumes of the fact that you're right. There is a market for a lot of things, maybe more than we ever thought there was. And that's why the one thing I learned from the, the weekend, you know, um, especially meeting you is that everybody's kind of heralding, you know, when is this whole, you know, when are comic books going to become, uh, unpopular again, but there's so many just stories and voices that we haven't heard from. And again, the guys out of New York who one of their biggest markets is like you know South Korea. That's that that's pretty yeah. astounding. So clearly there there's enough people out there who are are are, are wanting something new or something fresh. Yes, yes. And there's a, there, there is an audience. You have to find it. So I, I I try to be very optimistic, even though it feels like you're pushing a rock up a mountain some days. Uh, you still have to remember there are a lot of people in the world and not all of them have seen your work yet. So yet, yet. <laughs> so I, I, and it just sounds almost uh, terrible to ask because I, I know uh, the promotion for 27 is still in full swing with the Kickstarter, which don't worry, we will let everybody know where they can support that because, well, they friggin' shit. Yes, <laughs> rock hard. <laughs> are there any, I, I don't know, are you able to divulge any information as any other, like uh, with the exception of the Elvis one, any other anthologies you might uh, do in the future or is it too soon to say? Well, uh, for my own personal work, I did release a mini anthology inspired by Tom Waits. So if you've got any jazz or spoken word fans, uh, in the audience, uh, that's called Angel with a Bullet. It's a collection of four stories, um, just inspired by different songs. Uh, but again, we, they're original stories inspired by the music. They're not adaptations. And right. I, I, I harp on that a lot, in, but I hope people understand why. It's, it's, I love the idea of, of inspiration. I love the idea of artists kind of feeding each other and, and riffing off each other. And so, you know, when you go back, everybody's got the, the, that, artists that inspired them or that book that changed them and and that's the wellspring of all their work uh and and so we really encourage that to be original be new but also uh call the shot and 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 say who to compare you to and 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 bring that love in so it's cool more hippie stuff but there you go <laughs> no you know what though you say it's hippie stuff but i feel that Right now, we kind of we we as an industry or like comics lovers, I think we need a little bit of that because it's it's easy to point out on the unfortunate shortcomings or uh like bad parts, which and again those things need to be addressed. But mm-hmm. yet, I it's that positivity that I love because in the last you know few weeks and months, meeting so many different creators. Whether they have a, a, a startup that they built out of their own house or they're working for a major publisher, it's that overall just love of what they do that makes this so much fun. So yes. trust me, I don't mind the I don't mind the hippie stuff. <laughs> you don't have to keep apologizing for it. Well, it's funny how many you know high profile folks like they have been published by Marvel, they have been published by DC, they've got all that work out there, and they still come back to creator owned stuff. Yes. You know they've really reached the top. They've they've reached the mountaintop, and they still they still understand the power of telling your own story and getting your own your own work out. Um, and that 
some of us don't have a choice. <laughs> but if, if, if all it's going to do is bring me back here, then I'm going to do the best I can do right now. If, if going to the top and doing all that stuff is still going to bring me back to where I'm going to want to tell my story, I'm just going to do it now. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to do it now. No, I think that's very important. So one thing I love asking all of my guests, because it, it's so fun, I always like to hear the origin stories as far as where did it all start for you? As, you know, What was the first comic that you read, or what was the first book that spoke to you and said, this is what I want to do for a living? Well, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. I'll tell you what, though. My baby brother, and I call him a baby, he's 28 now. <laughs> <laughs> my little brother... Uh, he, when he was little, um, I was the oldest. And so I, I took care of him often. And, uh, he loved Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, so he's right around my age. And so I'm right with the him. Cartoons. Yeah, yeah. And he loved the cartoons. And then he would watch, you know, he would watch X-Men and I, um, I loved it too. And so it was, and he got the cool toys and he got, <laughs> he got all this cool stuff and, you know, I'm, you know, was the older sister, but I loved, I loved playing that stuff with him and, and watching him do that. And then I would watch, you know, he and his friends, they would play, you know, these video games, Mortal Kombat, and they would, you know, <laughs> finish him and like have this <laughs> stuff. And all I wanted to do was like sit back and like watch and watch them play and like do this stuff. So um, it was my little brother who introduced me to this whole nerdy nerdiness and then later on when he you know he had collected all the cards and he had all the toys and stuff and he kind of grew out of them and I still love them (laughs) uh, but he came back too he's uh he's uh, my brother Peter he's a stuntman in Los Angeles and he uh no way he just recently did uh, a couple of uh short have you ever seen the machinima superpower beatdown videos wait you're, um, he's, um, yeah, uh, I know they count, uh, Bat in the Sun. I think I followed him on Facebook. Yes, yes, Bat in the Sun. So my brother, um, they did a Mortal Kombat versus Power Rangers. And Wait, my brother the was... Scorpion versus White Ranger one? Yes, my bro- brother was Scorpion. Get the hell out of here. Okay, then, time like... out. I'm sorry. Back when I had my other podcast, Agent Atlas Have Issues, one of the episodes we sat there and watched that, we did like a, a running commentary about yeah. that, and that was the first one we watched because a buddy of mine was like, you gotta see this White Ranger uh, Scorpion fight. Like, what a small freaking world. You did see the alternate ending, yes? Because Scorpion wins in the alternate ending, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> That was so cool. Like, what are the odds? Well, he also, they just did another one. It was Street Fighter versus uh, Power Rangers. And so it was Ryu uh, fighting the Green Ranger. And that was my brother again playing Ryu. And uh, watch the alternate ending because that's the one where he wins. (laughs) (laughs) But even though the original ending, like, I know that you're probably saying to yourself, damn it, why did my brother win that original fight? (sighs) It was just so cool because once he pops his helmet, like, mind blown because as much as I loved X-Men and Ninja Turtles, I am a unabashed Power Rangers fanatic. So it's Uh just like, no way. Please, please. Ryu totally kicked his ass in that one. I do not know. (laughs) I'm sorry. He kind of, he got, he got his ass handed to him on that one. (laughs) <laughs> so but i mean that it started there and uh he my brother eventually sort of you know came back and, and and so that's something we were just in san diego together geeking out on the main floor 
<laughs> and uh, it's cool. It's cool to see that. So, uh, but yeah, that's how I started. I, I I fell in love with this stuff because my little brother got to do that. And you know, um, I think parents are much more progressive now. But my parents were not necessarily so much. Like my mother, you know, never encouraged me in sports. And and certainly there were girl toys and there were boy toys. Uh-huh. So, um, and so it was sad to kind of grow up that way but at the same time the love sneaked in and so now i write comics and then my brother um is, is a stunt guy in in la are they still <laughs> very traditional in that aspect or have they like come around and been like hey you know you did good oh man my dad's an engineer and he doesn't know what the hell i'm doing he's like are you still are you doing are you doing this publishing thing I'm like yes <laughs> yes and every once in a while i'll give him a book and the thing is what's funny is his friends think it's cool my dad not so much, but my his friends think it's cool. So, well, so I don't think it's like your dad thinks it's uncool, but I guess being an engineer and having because I know some personally, they're of a <laughs> mindset that I I think you know geeking out over spandex heroes maybe doesn't appeal to them. But I'm I'm sure he's probably very proud of you as far as <laughs> and your well, brother. It's one of those, <laughs> it is one of those things. Uh, my dad, he's sort of more traditional Asian in that sense. Like he. Um, he may be proud of us, but he won't tell us. He might tell other people. But he won't tell us. So. If I know anything of dads, because my dad, I, I mean, he's not necessarily traditional, but I, you know what? I will say he is to a certain degree because my dad, of course, grew up in the, the 60s and so on and so forth. But, you know, back then, fathers had to be like a certain way or men were a certain way. And my dad is a massive geek and i think it's not until recently that he's starting to kind of embrace it a little bit more because all the stuff i'm into i realize i contributed to my father you know he's you, you throw you talk about movies to him he, he won't shut up so it's just funny that you know he's a geek but he's a geek about certain things well that's a good that's good then that's a good connection sometimes you don't you realize this stuff about your parents until a lot later that they they can actually you know the one thing we did connect on um and this is not you know as exciting but you know my father owns his own business and so when i started my own business that is something that um he did seem proud of and i was proud of to kind of share have that conversation with him because um so every once in a while, he wonders what it would have been like if he had worked for, I don't know, like the state or something like that and had a pension and all that other stuff. But at the end of the day, it's his business. It's his, what he built, what he's proud of. He goes in every day and is is working for himself. And there's something, there's something to be said for that. I think there's there's a lot to be said about that. That's, yeah, I definitely would not take that lightly. That's very cool. We did connect over that, so that was good. So, Enrica, thank you so much. This has been an absolute <laughs> blast. And I, I honestly, now to the point where, like, I, I would love to talk your ear off more about this, but I'm sure at some point you probably have other things to do. Uh, uh, it's, what are we doing? What are you going to do? It's Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and, and football season does start for another couple of weeks, so I'm kind of between gigs. I'm excited. This whole, you, you know, Kickstarter, um, I did a Kickstarter years ago um, when they first came out, and it's this that experience compared to this one is very different. I am really amazed how many people I've met in just the last, you know, month, um, how many people, because they can connect with this, it's a new platform and they, they're suddenly aware of you. We got um, one of the first retailers that uh, supported us on our Kickstarters in Dublin, Ireland. 
And that's just, wow. you know, I'd been to Ireland for the first time last year um, and, and just had a good time. And But that was my first time ever in Europe. And so there was no chance of ever connecting with that shop. And there's this, you know, it's this great indie shop that um, all the other stores are around it, you know, do the big two over in Dublin. And so, but he focuses on the indies and then he's backing, like that store is backing our Kickstarter. And that's just the cool, like, so meeting meeting quote unquote meeting them online or like meeting people in Australia or meeting people in 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 Britain it just it's been amazing uh to connect with so many more people uh on just doing this and uh i and, and i still have some good friends from the first kickstarter we did and this is much this is much bunch bigger so i'm excited by by all of it and yeah i hope you guys like the book take a look check it out i'm a cartoon in our video um <laughs> we, made, we made a video and I'm this cartoon, this drugged out rock and roll chick uh, talking about our, our book in our, in our video. So at least see the video and <laughs> go to the campaign. We heard that. Everybody go do that like right now. Do it yesterday. Frederica, it's been so much fun. But even more so the Kickstarter, where can everybody else find your stuff online? You can find everything on redstylo.com. So all of it's there. Very cool. And, well, you know where you can find us because you've been hopefully listening this entire time. If not, um, well, <laughs> wait, maybe it's not a good idea to threaten, vaguely threaten my listeners, but. <laughs> Do it. Do it. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> That's it. You know, at some point, I might need you to do a voiceover and just actually just do that voice the entire time. <laughs> All right, well, that'll do it for another episode of Adrian Has Issues, though, and we will see you next time. 